Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Jeff. Well, good to see everybody this morning. Um, a couple of things that I want to just quickly uh, acknowledge is the fact that, am I echoey? I sound like I'm very echoey. Am I echoey? Uh, able to turn me down just a hair, maybe? If not, I can just preach without it. Anyway, I'll continue to talk. Um, I just noticed that since our church is getting like closer together as the body, and relationally, how we're growing in the depth of Christ, where it's like the deep calleth unto deep. I'm noticing our worship is getting better. Um, and I think it comes out of a church that is willing to be known by one another. And the, and the relationship as we have with Christ is being shown in our congregation. And I think when that happens, we're seeing a deeper, more authentic expression in our worship. And I think we can all feel that and see that um, at some level. Um, so I'm very grateful for what's uh, transpired with our worship. It's very uh, um, it's very beautiful. And it really is great to preach behind um, that kind of uh, worship to our Lord. I, just, just a huge blessing. Number two, I recognize that uh, as far as our fellowship is concerned, <clears throat> I'm greatly um, humbled and honored to be around so many scholars um, of God's word in this church. I mean, they're just a level of depth and knowledge that um, you know, those of you in this church have, it's just such a privilege uh, to be able to preach in, in such a cloud of witnesses of uh, men and women both who really know the word of God deeply. And some of you know it better than I do. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge those two things and let you know how grateful I am that I have that kind of atmosphere to come into uh, as a church and just the benefits of having brothers in the faith that are so deeply uh, entrenched in God's word and have such a deep knowledge of God's word that any one of you could come up here and probably preach better than me. Um, but I'm just grateful that God has allowed me the privilege to be up here and to be uh, numbered with such a great cloud of witnesses here at 116. So just wanted to say that before I started this morning. So I've been wanting to say that, but got it off my chest. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, this morning as we continue uh, through the uh, book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, even though, as I said last um, last Sunday, it's very difficult to start in the middle of this chapter because it references the entirety of the chapter, right? So really the entirety of the entire book, but obviously we're not going to go to every place in the book. But um, I'm going to start in the middle because we've already been, we've already read through this together um, a few times. So um I'm going to start in uh, chapter 9, verse 11 this morning. Chapter 9, verse 11. I'm reading out of the IEB Bible. I know that's a bit startling for all of you because I always read out of the King James Version, but this is one of my other favorite versions um, that, I, that I like to read. It's more of a, seems to be more of a common language that grasps the meaning. It's not a paraphrase. It's actually a literal translation, but it's actually really a great translation. So starting in verse 11, they were both going up the hill, talking about Saul and his servant, uh, to the town. Along the way, they found some young women who were coming out to get water. Saul and the servant asked them, is there a seer in this place? One of the young women answered, yes, he's here. Look, he is straight ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just arrived in town today. 
The reason is because the people will offer a sacrifice at the place of worship today. When you go into town, you will find him. He'll be there before he goes up to the place of worship to eat. The people will not uh, begin eating until this year comes. He must bless the sacrifice. After that, the invited guest will eat. So go on now, you will find him about this time. So Saul and the servant went up to town just as they were entering the town. Look, they saw Samuel. He was coming out of the town toward them. He was on his way up to the place of worship. The day before Saul came, Yahweh had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'll send a man to you. He will be from the tribe of Benjamin. You must anoint him as prince over my people Israel. He will save my people from the domination of the Philistines because I have seen my people suffer so much and I am listening to their cry for help. When Samuel first saw Saul, Yahweh responded to Samuel. He said, look, this is the man I told you about. This is the one who will rule over my people. At the gate, Saul approached Samuel. Saul asked, could you please tell me where the seer's house is? Samuel answered Saul. He says, I am the seer. Go on ahead of me to the place of worship. You and your servant are supposed to eat with me today. Tomorrow morning, I will send you home and I'll answer all your questions. And basically saying, by the way, do not worry about the donkeys that were lost three days ago. They have been found. Now to whom does all that is worth the Zion of Israel belong? Is it not to you and to all your father's household? Yes. Saul answered, but I am from the tribe of Benjamin. It is the smallest tribe in Israel, and my clan is the least important clan within the tribe of Benjamin. Why have you talked to me this like this? Then Samuel took Saul and his servant boy, brought, him, brought them into a large banquet room. He gave them an important place at the table. And there are about 30 guests. Samuel said to the cook, bring the meat which I gave to you. It is the portion which I told you to set aside. So the cook got the leg with what was on it and he placed it on the table in front of Saul. Samuel said, look, this is the meat which was reserved for you. Eat it because it was set aside for you at this special time. I have invited these people for this occasion. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Later they came down from the place of worship. They went into town. Then Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They got up very early at dawn, and Samuel called out to Saul, who had spent the night on the roof. Samuel said, Get up, so that I may send you on your way. So Saul got up. Saul left the house with Samuel. Saul, the servant boy, and Samuel, Samuel were getting close to the edge of town. Then Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant boy to go on ahead of us, but you stop here for a while. I have a special message for you from God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for allowing us to gather once again um, just to hear what it is that you would have to say to us uh, today and this morning. Be glorified in the preaching of your word. Uh, grant me the ability, Lord, to proclaim your word uh, with much trembling and much fear. Lord, grant your people that are here today that are really the objects, Lord, of your affection in the preaching of your word, that they also would have ears to hear, and that you'd open up their hearts to be able to receive the word of God this morning. Uh, grant us the ability to put away all of our distractions. Lord, this world is full of so many distractions that we're running in every direction. Lord, help us to calm our minds, quiet our minds, and grant us the ability to be able to soak in the word of God. Uh, so Lord, bless our service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Really dealing with the part two, I didn't finish up 
Uh, last Sunday, as you all know, I just got through um, actually the first portion of this. Um, so uh, regardless, we'll, we'll finish it at a good time, not a long extended time, and hopefully we'll be able to get through this. And if not, then we'll just stop. But um, really want to look at God's providence through our chaos, which we've seen demonstrated in this story. And as we made known last Sunday, the drama in this chapter disposes itself into five scenes. We looked at only the first one. We'll deal with the second four. But the first one was, we first have Saul seeking his father's donkeys. And we see that First Samuel chapter 9, 3 through 5. Secondly, there's the meeting with the prophet in 1 Samuel 9, 6 through 21. Thirdly, the introduction to the people, 1 Samuel 9, 22 through 24. And fourthly, the communion on the housetop, which is chapter 9, 25 through 26. And then fifthly, the anointing with oil. We're not going to really get to that. We're going to save that, obviously, for Sean, who will be preaching next Sunday. So let's look at our uh, second point here. Uh, there is this meeting with the prophet, which is extremely powerful. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 18, it says, At the gate Saul approached Samuel. Saul asked, Could you please tell me where the seer's house is? Samuel answered Saul, he says, I am the seer. Go on ahead of me to the place of worship. You and your servant are supposed to eat with me today. And tomorrow morning, I'll send you home. I'll answer all your questions. Do not worry about the donkeys that were lost three days ago. They have been found. Now to whom does all that is worth desiring Israel belong? Is it not to you and to all your father's household? Yes. Saul's reply, but I am not a, Benj I'm, but I'm not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe. Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest town of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you talked to me like this? So basically, we're going to stop there, and we're really finishing up on Saul's journey for his donkeys. Let's not lose sight of that reality. Saul's not looking for the prophet by any means. He's not looking for the seer. He's not looking so he can be anointed king over Israel. He's still in search for his donkeys. So this whole time, this whole event is taking place about his endless, relentless search for the donkeys. And then we're seeing the providence of God directing the path of this man in, in really, which in a way that is comforting to us. And why, why is it so comforting to us to see such a situation like this that could have been easily, obviously in our world, uh, you know, remedied just by bringing things together quickly. But it, it shows us in his word because it's very profitable for us to look at this and say, hey, this very well could be my life. And I would say it would be most of our lives, if you want to be honest. I mean, a lot of our lives, obviously as orderly as we'd like them to be, a lot of times are just completely chaotic and seem chaotic anyway, right? In, in, our, in our lives, it's like, this is such a biggest mess I've ever been in my entire life. And we think of what the world, you know, is going on here. And then we find out retrospectively down the road that God was in all of it. And he worked it all out for his glory and it all made sense. And even our mistakes and foolishness and sin and, and misdirected ways, uh, the Lord is in it. Now, obviously, the Lord, I'm not saying the Lord is, is causing us to sin, okay? But my point is, is that God allows us to be what we already are. And through all that, God still uses that in his providence. His decrees are his decrees. We don't know every decree of God, and we shouldn't know. They're reserved for him and not for us. But the reality is, things happen sometimes that we just don't know why 
or don't know how, but at the end of the day, it's very important that we understand the nature of God. We understand God's nature and the fact that he is ruler and he is sovereign. The biggest thing is if we take away God's sovereignty, then we put all of this responsibility on ourselves, which would be human responsibility, right? Now, don't get me wrong, there is human responsibility in the Christian life. I'm not saying that because then you steep into a heresy called high Calvinism, what would be called hyper Calvinism. But this is really, uh, you know, understanding that if God's not in control, we're, we're, we're in trouble. So God is in control of all of the details of our life. He's in control. You know, he, he's got things so calculated for his glory. And God is great enough to be sovereign and providential and in operation fully to every little uh, detail in our lives. I mean, we don't, there is no autonomy. You know, I hate to break it to you. Um, to think that somewhere, somehow we have our own autonomy that God's not a part of. And we call that our little free will. Or we can behave in such a way outside of this reality that God is not over that portion and has not ordained it. It's completely false. The reality is that God is the only one actually that operates in the spectrum of free will. God has the freedom, right? Man is held captive by his sin. That's why Jesus said, um, he who the son sets free is free indeed. That's not being set free to go buy a mansion or Mercedes Benz. It's being set free from what? Our sinful nature. That we can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Where was I? So Guzik, uh, the famous commentator that I really like, he, he had said um, very important two points concerning these passages. He says, there's two mistakes that people make regarding God's guidance through our circumstances. One mistake is to think every event of life is heavy, is heavy, a mark that, with a meaning of God. This is wrong because though nothing happens by accident, not everything happens for a great purpose. Now, what does he mean by that? The reality is, is that um, you get people that will, you know, see a cup blown across a sidewalk by wind and they think somehow that represents to them that they're going to go on and be moved by the Holy Spirit as an empty vessel to be this huge preacher and preach to thousands. I mean, they take little things in life. Everything is drastic and huge of, of, of a lot of meaning. But, you know, in life, we got to understand some mundane. Sometimes it's the small things in life that don't always have to be the big experiential things of our life. Everything isn't a big drama. You know, some things are small and they're meant to be small and it's okay that they're small. The problem is with our pride and the way we're built, everything's got to be big. You know, we can never be satisfied with saying, hey, you know, the Lord is having me do this. You know, it's just part of life. It doesn't always have to be directed to a greater purpose. You know, God has me cleaning a toilet. Why? Because the toilet needs to be cleaned. It doesn't mean he's set me up to be the greatest preacher in the world by having me clean toilets. No, it's called humility. You know, it's called being submissive to Christ and not thinking too highly of ourselves. And that, that happens. The second mistake, he says, is to ignore the moving of God in our lives through circumstances. Uh, God, you know, wanted to use the situation to guide Saul. And God will often use circumstances in our lives the same way. We need to trust in God's goodness and in his ability to make all things work together for good. So we got to understand also God's providence in our life and understand that this is a way that God is not speaking to us audibly, 
But we must look at our lives providentially and see God speaking to us through these actions of our own lives. I mean, how can you not look at your own life and see the providence of God communicating in such a salvific and sanctifying fashion that makes us want to glorify Christ in every arena and facet of our lives? We look at God's plans versus our plans. And this is the great dilemma, right? We we have plans that we make and, and God is ultimately in control. Proverbs 69 verifies this and validates this when it says a man's heart plans his own way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19.21 says many plans are in a man's heart, right? But the purpose of the Lord will prevail. Jeremiah 10, 23, the Bible says, well, God says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not his own. No one who walks directs his own steps. And then in 29, verse 11 of Jeremiah, it says, for I know the plans I have for you. God speaking this, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord says, I know the plans, not you know the plans. That's a big difference there uh, in, this, in this point that the God, God makes in our lives is that the, the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Not saying that God's ways aren't the ways of uh, a regenerate person born again, but the reality is what God is trying to show us is that he's separate from us and he dictates what happens and he's ordained these things to happen. He knows the plans for our lives. And that should be for us comforting because we may not know. And it's okay to know. You aren't the, you know, basically the um, dictator of your own future. God is. I mean, it really flies in the face of most self-help books you read, you know, that says basically, you know, it is us who basically decides our own fate. But that's totally wrong. I mean, it's, it's God who's in control of our lives from A to Z. He's got it already worked out. And we're just seeing it play out in our lives. And though our lives may have moments or seasons of what we would call chaotic, confusing, or even full of turmoil, um, things look as if they were falling or failing and falling into the wayside. It's, it's those you've taken two steps forward and three steps back. Sometimes it looks as if our world is completely falling apart and the damage is irreparable. Sometimes even at moments we feel like giving up or just disappearing from the world. Look at Peter during his greatest moment of failure after he denied the Lord three times. Not understanding what was happening, he fell into this reality of seeing Christ, the perspective of his faith, not agreeing with his own plan, but it was God's plan. In 22, 62 of Luke, it says, so, what, so Peter went out and he wept bitterly after seeing his denial of his Lord struck him down which led him to basically give up and return to his old profession as a fisherman. You know, you, you think of this and you can, I see this in myself. I see this, you know, it's just a reality of, of life in and of itself is, is dealing with the reality of human life, living the life of a Christian. It's not all these high and lofty thoughts, but the constitution of our humanity playing in to our faith. Peter replies in John 21, verse 3, he says, I'm going fishing. 
Well, why was he doing that? Because that's something where his identity first was established before he came to Christ. This is what he did. This is who he was. And he knew, if anything, he's already denied Christ. He wept bitterly. He was broken. Probably felt so shameful that he didn't even dare even consider naming the name of Christ ever again. And it seems to be that this is what the verses are saying because even the disciples said, we're going with you also. You know, there's almost a sense of failure uh, in, in the original plan. It was God's plan, but we sometimes have different plans. And what seemed like confusion and chaos, you know, and now we see that, you know, Peter's master is now hanging on the cross. You know, you can almost imagine his thoughts and thinking, how do we get here? Not realizing that this event was ordained by God. It was ordained of God that this should take place. And it's pretty obvious that the disciples didn't get it because they all ran away. They knew he was God, the God-man that was going to die and be risen from the dead, defeat death, hell, and the grave. And they're perfectly satisfied and safe in Christ and secure in that. They went to ran. They went to rejected him, but they did. I mean, the whole reason Saul was looking for the seer was because he wanted to find his donkeys, but God was directing him to the prophet where he would be confirmed and anointed as the king of Israel. So be of good cheer this morning before you start shaming yourself and calling yourself every name of the book in your mind. Just remember, before you start uh, murmuring against the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, put your hand over your mouth like Job did. And remember that God is working through all of this, even your screw-ups, even your failures, even your lack of faith, even your foolishness. God is in it, and it doesn't change God one iota. Yes, we're accountable for our sin. We're accountable for the things that we do. But don't forget this fact that God is truly sovereign over the lives of the world, but he's involved in the life of his people in a way that no one would ever realize unless they were converted. Seeking donkeys and finding a kingdom. That is the story of the Christian life. That is my story. Seeking donkeys. You know, obviously donkeys could symbolize many things in the Christian life, but I was led to a kingdom. An unshakable kingdom that no one can take away from me, regardless of my stupidity, my failures, my foolishness. I am Christ. I belong. I am not Christ. I belong to Christ. I am his. The second scene is really this whole idea of Saul's meeting with Samuel. Here we see Saul seeking out the legendary prophet Samuel so that he could get help finding his donkeys. Now, for me, this seems a little bit um, disrespectful. Uh, it just does. I mean, Samuel, who's regarded and it had such a reputation that he had. He had a circuit ministry. He did the judging in his home, on his hometown, in his home where he built an altar. I mean, this guy was full throttle to such an extent at a very young age. In his 60s, I believe, late 50s, he was looked at as an old man by other people. And I would guess he got that way from active ministry. That's how I want to grow old. I don't want to grow old from doing drugs grow old from just living a sinful lifestyle. I've seen people that have lived that way in the age beyond their years, right? But then you see people who have totally invested and spent their lives for Christ. 
That I want to die being worn out. Be like a worn out old shoe for Christ and throw me in the grave and bury me and forget about me. Because this is the life that we have is to glorify Christ, right? We're here for that purpose and that purpose only is that you breathe and exist not so you can just have fun and live however you want and then say the sinner's prayer and somehow hocus pocus, you can live like a devil, but you're going to end up in heaven. It's contrary to scripture. When, when, when the gospel changes us, it draws us and God gives us new desires and those affections really testify of the one we truly live. But we see this reality of consulting with you know, Samuel. They come in and, they, you know, this whole time, you know, they, they've been running around the mountainside and now they're here. You know, they finally get to the point where they meet Samuel, the great prophet, right? And they want to talk to him. I mean, I guess donkeys, as Sean said about, you know, the F-150 truck, they're very valuable. But, you know, at some level, come on. You know what I mean? Just let the donkeys go. Take it on yourself. Go home. Lick your wounds. Deal with it. Pay your dad back, whatever you need to do. But to sit there and bother um, Samuel with this is just really, I mean, I think, to add injury to insult. He gives a present, which is a fourth part of a shekel of silver, which really, if you want to look at that, it's about 10 cents in our currency. But before we start slamming, you know, their their attempts to um, come to Samuel, we see Christ in this. We see Christ in all of this because obviously it's only 10 cents. How offensive, right? It's like, hey, you know, give me your brand new truck and I'm going to give you a dime. I'm going to pay for that. Here, it's needs money. Oh, you say, here, Jeff, here's a new truck for you. Really nice. And then I, I walk away. I say, oh, let me pay for that. And I hand you a dime. How offensive, right? This is really the, the idea that where he, it, I think it's really meant for us to look at it that way and go, wow, he's coming to such an extraordinary individual with this. You're looking for a donkey? You're going to give the guy 10 cents? Seems a little baffling to me. But here's the thing. That, you know, this is a beauty of it because Samuel doesn't reject them and doesn't frown upon them and say, you need to be laying some big money down, brother, you know. Um, but he doesn't. He, he accepts what they, what they have. Because Samuel knows, obviously, because God had already told him that Saul was coming. So says that they went up the hill to the, to the city. They, they met some young women going out to draw water. They said, is the seer here? Uh, then um, they answered him and said, yes, he's here. He's ahead of you. Hurry now for today. He's coming to the city because there's a sacrifice of the people on the high place. Uh, Samuel, we know, had traveled a, and had a circuit. But now he had returned to his hometown, the place called Ramah, which actually means exalted. It is the place, it's the, it's, the, it's the high place. And he had an altar there as well. And as soon as um, they said, you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice after those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up for about this time, you will find him. So they went up to the city and they were coming into the city, and there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. I like what John Gill says. He says, The pious custom of asking a blessing on meals, our Lord's giving of thanks, is inherited by us from the Jews. Interesting. He makes that comment. It's very, you know, they're waiting for him to come. Don't eat. 
uh, until he blesses the, the, this, the, the sacrifice, right? Because it was a sacrifice, then, a, then obviously a feast. And um, Samuel was to bless it. He was the prophet to, you know. But as we all know, before we eat meals, I mean, I just hope most of us would uh, give thanks to the Lord and bless our meals and thank God, be thankful that God has taken upon himself to feed us and to take care of us. God had spoken to Samuel. He said, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before. Obviously, you know, um, Samuel knew that he was coming. We see that in 1 Samuel 9, 15. Um, how intimate, I mean, this expression, expression is. And Psalms 103 is written that God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And here he is honoring Samuel in the same way. His acts are what men see. His ways are the reason and foreknowledge of them and to give them that fear him such secrets that are given. Um, so we see this, you know, Samuel being spoken to um, by the Lord and, um, you know, how Samuel responds and how Samuel was given this knowledge. Guzik goes on to say that the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, literally, which really means the expression really means had uncovered his ear. The same phrase is used in Ruth uh, chapter four, verses four, uh, when the phrase is taken from the pushing aside of the headdress in order to whisper. And therefore it means that Jehovah, check this out, had secretly told Samuel. And this is interesting because Samuel actually hear an audible voice of God, but it seems to indicate that somehow God implanted this knowledge and spoke to him as if one pulling away someone's headdress and whispering in their ear. Think of that intimacy there. You just take a moment, stop and think about that reality. How loving, how loving God is. How beautiful that statement is. That God cares enough about you. Yes, you. And to be able to speak to us. Now, obviously, we have his word, obviously. But don't lose that beauty of God himself, the nature of God, taking the time and giving that expression to such an extent where he talked to Samuel, to such an extent where he pulled away and whispered in the ear who was coming and who must be anointed. I mean, let's skip over that really. It's easy to skip over that stuff and go, yeah, 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 God told him. But the reality is it's something for us to benefit from as his people. This is the beautifulness of our Lord, the, the majestic beauty of having a relationship with God through Christ. It's just this, this idea that God stoops down to us in Christ um, to, to meet with his people and to speak to his people and to guide us. And, and we don't have to have a startling, um, nervous reaction and be constantly living in a state of fear, a godly fear, yes, but not of panic and, and, and just misery. Um, reading the word of God and you know it's the gospel you know what that means it means good news it's, it's not bad news it's not negative it's positive you know the gospel Christ died for sinners like us he died to to make us right with the father to such an extent that that can never be taken away from us First Samuel 9, 18 says, At the gate, Saul approached Samuel, and Saul asked, Could you please tell me where the seer's house is? And the interesting, powerful point is that um, Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. I am the seer. 
Go on ahead of me to the place of worship. You and your servant are supposed to eat with me today. Tomorrow morning, I'll send you home. I'll answer all your questions. And don't, do not worry about the donkeys that were lost three days ago. They have been found. This is just a, you know, a, a powerful statement here. And then he goes on to say, Now to whom does all this that is worth desiring Israel belong? Is it not to you and to all of your father's household? Yes. Saul answered, but I'm not a Benjamin. I'm from the smallest tribe of Israel. And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you talked to me like this? And I think it's beautiful because we're very, it's either, it's either he's being sarcastic, okay? Or it's false humility, or he really means what he says here. And I take that, I take it, I used to take it the other way, but I honestly believe Saul, you know, this is really Saul's backstory, you know, I believe that his response really was uh, an act of humility. Like, why in the world? I mean, first of all, he didn't know he was running into this here. He didn't know he was after donkeys. The next thing you know, um, you know, he starts getting this conference with the pastor, or I'm sorry, the prophet, and and speaking these things to him, and it had that riveting reality. Like, who am I that you would speak these things to me? And I think it's a beautiful picture. It's really, you know, it's, it's like the kindness of God shown through Samuel, granting the desire of Saul's wish to find his donkeys, knowing that God ultimately is in the details. I mean, this is just a beautiful thing. Uh, and think about this. I mean, those animals may have never been found. They were, but either way, it would not have mattered. And they were, you know, given almost as an offering because they brought Saul into the immediate presence of the prophet. I mean, think about these lost donkeys, but look what Saul got out of it. Obviously, the donkeys were given as well back. Sure, hey, listen, your donkeys aren't lost. This is the beauty of God and the details and the caring about the, the minors in our lives. Not all the majors, you know, it's the minors that God really pours forth in this whole story, that God is, God is totally in um, everything that um, occupies the Christian life. You know, they've been found and they matter, but if they never were found, losing a few donkey for this reality to have a meeting with a prophet and be spoken to of the word of God and to see where this all turns out is really minor. If we lose everything in this life for Christ, so be it. I mean, you lose everything. You lose your reputation. You lose your health. Okay? You lose your home. You lose, you lose things. You're rejected. You're made fun of. Um, you're criticized for the faith. I mean, it's part of the Christian life. And this reality that we've got to hold on and have everything and it is ridiculous because we cling to these things. We must cling to these things very loosely because if you lose everything for Christ, um, it's worth it. I mean, this, this life of yours, how long do you think it's going to be? How long do you think you have? Are you a seer? Do you know the end of your life? you know when it's going to happen? How it's going to happen? No. You don't. You don't have a clue. You can make all the plans you want, how you're going to be a successful blah, blah, blah in the next 10 years or your five-year plan, right? But you may not have five years. You may not have one breath left. You could drop over dead right now and be in the presence of God. So this is a reality that we all have to consider that things in this life, even your family, even your children, even your spouse, all these things are really temporary. They're temporary. 
Okay, we're not Mormons. We don't go to the temple, look into these mirrors and go, oh, this is eternity with each other. It is. Ultimately, at the end of the day, all believers will be together for all eternity. Don't get me wrong, but we don't want to have a false view of that, the reality of that, that this life is passing away and it will soon shrivel up and be gone. You may not make it till tomorrow. So let us be willing to give up whatever is necessary in order to glorify God. And that even means our sin the things that we cling to, our addictions and things like that. Um, I mean, we need to need to let go and we need to turn to Christ. And we need to trust him to grant us the ability that he has given to us through his son by raising him from the dead. Saul's response really was just his dealing with his past, dealing with who he was, dealing with his identity, and then under, trying to figure out why in the world would anybody speak to us in this manner, uh, very clear is what Christ gave us in the gospel. You know, there, there's just, I mean, in the reality that Christ would offer us salvation when we deserved hell, we didn't deserve anything else. We deserve nothing else. Everything that you have in life is given to you by the grace of God. And it's the gift of God. And you've got to remember this because you don't deserve any of those things. And don't ever fall into the spirit of entitlement, that you're entitled to all these things, because you're not. Neither one of us, I'm not. We're not entitled to these things. The only thing we're entitled at this point is, is hell. But Christ steps in, he intervenes, and he saves us. No, uh, you know, nothing to ourselves uh, would grant us this, um, you know, this level of qualification that would offer us into the gates of heaven, It's only by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Christ that's given to his people by the free election of, of God himself. We have to understand that because otherwise you start complaining about things, complaining about people, hypercritical. You fall into all these different crazy sins because you're not content with what God has given you. You're so worried because you don't have everything. But the reality is you have everything in Christ. I know that sounds cliche, and no one likes to hear that, especially if you're struggling with something. I get that. I've been there. I still struggle with that. But it is the truth. Our consequences don't dictate what's been accomplished for us on the cross. When your life passes 100 years from now, it isn't going to matter whether you had that certain thing that you need to have right now. It isn't going to matter. You're going to be in eternity with Christ. Remember that. There's nothing that can outweigh that reality but I also don't want to minimize your pain. But just remember that, you know, I mean, we're entitled to nothing. So whatever we get is a, is a benefit that is given to us freely by God himself. Amen. Samuel's answer to Saul when he asked him this question concerning Saul's humble identification of his backstory and Benjamin, Benjamite tribe is not even discussed. He doesn't even go there. Which maybe he did. We don't know. We can only speculate. But the reality is that um, uh, Samuel's answer to, to Saul was not discussed, discussed in a conversation, but it was shown by the action of his invitation. So his reaction as Saul asked his questions in the next verse, we read in part three now, stepping into the third portion, is the introduction to the people. So now Saul had took Samuel. This is what happened after, after Saul said, well, why me? Look at me. Look at my past. What in the world do you want with a guy like me? And it says, and, uh, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall. 
and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back? It was set apart for you. Oh, I mean, me, you know, this honoring. I mean, just look at what's happening here. Look at this from where he just, what he was looking for, number one. Number two, he came to the seer. And number three, look what was happening here to him. Could you imagine the shock of transition right there? The shock of going from one aspect of your life to an aspect here of, of total, just um, absolute awe of what's happening to you and your, obviously your change in your career really quickly. And then he goes on to say, it was set apart for you, eat. For under this time, it has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Then he goes on to say that the things here recorded were intended to show honor um, to the young man, as Gil has put it very clearly. And in so far, prepare the people to receive him as king. For example, his being received into the, into the apartment assigned a special guest had given him a high seat among them. And his being offered the choicest portions of the feast uh, the words that which is left should be rendered, actually, which deals with 1 Samuel 9, 24, and dealing with that portion really was that which is reserved. Some commentators believe that this is the type of treatment uh, is a great test to see how one will react when given privilege and honor and special treatment. I know Jerry and I had talked about this um, the other night, talking about this idea of being really careful um, in, in how we treat people within the congregation if they have money they don't have money he's poor whatever his place and de designation is in life that we shouldn't um, deal with people inappropriately and you can really see what people are made of especially when they get a little authority a little favor and a little special treatment and here we see all of these things happening to Saul just a very abrupt change and he's getting this honor, he's getting special treatment, all these things. And many believe that these things were given to him to reveal what's in his heart. The fastest way you're going to reveal what's in someone's heart, give them a little bit of authority. A little bit of authority will show you really quickly what that person's truly made of. I remember this reminds me of a story this kid in high school I went to high school with. He was the uh, principal's son. And he was just, I mean, really, I mean, I, I don't want to start, you know, calling him names or anything because he was a very nice guy. But he was very, he was very, just very, um, looked very weak. Okay? Very, very, very thin guy. And he got picked on by everybody. It was really sad. Like, I mean, he's just a very flimsy, kind of spooked individual. Very thin, very, you know, had that, that, that sense of him that he was just, you know, cowering wherever he went but people picked on him because of that and he got brutally just you know bullied and stuff but then guess what happened he became the uh he became the uh, the, the police of our town he got a job in our small town as being the cop right so you can almost guess who got pulled over right that siren was spinning this you know left and right and all those people you know give the guy a little bit of authority give him an outfit Give him a badge, give him a car, and that guy turned into a completely different person, and it wasn't good. 
because everywhere you turn, that guy was pulling over people, uh, including myself. And so I see this, this scary reality of giving people authority, uh, either laying your hands on somebody too quick and seeing them completely blow up um, because they just can't handle, they bring all of their emotional baggage into it and they use it as leverage uh, in, a, in a means um, to to trample on people because they've been trampled on their whole lives. So, wow, now I'm a pastor. Now I can just beat everybody up behind this pulpit and I can get some attention and people start respecting me for once in my life and use that for those reasons of, of, of insecurity opposed to humility. And that's really sometimes what we see when people get into authority positions that shouldn't be there. Um, Jesus said, take the lowly place, Luke 14, 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noted how they chose the best places, he said to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him would come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of the house who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's a powerful thing about just, you know, be careful of thinking too highly of yourself. and You're deserving of all these special things. But if you're humble, these things will be given to you because it's a heart that God can trust and not going to take those opportunities to somehow exercise this all of a sudden miraculous authority over other people. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Proverbs 25 verse 7 says, For it is better that he says to you, Come up here, than they should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. This whole idea, who, whom your eyes have seen, uh, is really interpreted to whom thou hast come with a request for preference. You see that even in the church. People think they come in here and somehow or another they may be in the world's scheme of things more successful, uh, you know, have means that other people don't have, and they think by bringing an attention to this that somehow they have an elevated position in the church and they can start dictating what happens in the church. Very dangerous place to be. And the pastors fall into sin when they start putting people in certain spots based upon their financial disposition or maybe they're just a little bit, you know, maybe they've got some fame under their belt or whatever, and they're treated like kings, but everybody else is treated like peasants. We need to treat them uh, the same way. Um, James 2, 1 through 7 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit there at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality? Among yourselves to become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? 
but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? I think we all can gather together what the lesson is. But here Saul himself responded in humility to the seer, obviously. And then he was recognized in such a way where the prophet was honoring him as the soon-to-be king of Israel. And I think even Paul's really miserable reign God did use him very instrumentally to confront his enemies in battle and did use him in ways that were very profitable regardless of his fall. And that's why we got to be real careful. We don't look just because of his failure and his end was very terrible. We, get, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that he was never used by God in any, in any way. And he wasn't respected as well, even by the prophet and by the people at some level. So we want to look at this and say, what does this speak to us uh, as being the people of God. Which brings us in the fourth portion is the communion on the housetop with 1 Samuel 9, 25 and 26. And here we see that you know, like, basically when you think of these housetops, it's not like it is today. You know, obviously we don't meet on someone's roof, right? We don't have Bible study on someone's roof. It's all, you know, it's just different the way things were set up in those days. Um, Oriental houses being low and flat roofed, the roof offered the most desirable place for a quiet conversation and rest in the cool of day. And here the prophet instructed Saul in the way of the kingdom, pointing to him, out to him, perhaps the religious decline of the people and the need of a leader obedient to God. You know, it gives a very uh, great definition of what it would have been like to be upon that roof. And what that really shows to us is the sweet communion that we have in Christ. It's a beautiful picture of this man, lowly man, coming in contact with a godly man, the prophet, right? It was the type and picture of Christ. What the saint comes into the cool breeze of the presence of God, the revigorating power of the Holy Spirit, the vitality of God, and this experience of communicating and communion with Christ. This is the idea that we need to have when we come to Christ. Not some just boring ritual that you do so you can go brag about it to other people. It's communion with Christ. It's coming in contact with God. It's spending time in the beauties upon the housetop with our Lord. And put this into your framework today. Imagine this next time you go into your closet, the next time you hit your knees, remember the cool breeze of Christ. And at this time with him, you know, it is, is, a, is a comforting time. Our Christ, he comforts us. The Spirit of God comforts uh, the people of God. This communion, uh, this beautiful, you know, um, picture here of our communion with Christ. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house. And they arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. You know, it's just a, just a beautiful picture of prayer, you know, the prayer of the saints. I think of Isaiah 66, 2, where it says, this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Proverbs 15, 8 says, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases God. You know your prayers? Being a believer, please God. I mean, you think of, you know, you're born again now. This isn't like you're lost and everything you do offends God. 
you're now no longer in a place of offense, but when you commune with him, it's pleasing to him. I mean, how often, if you could, I mean, don't raise your hands and, you know, but I was ask you to take personal inventory this morning. You know, ask yourself, how, how long do I spend in prayer with my Lord? I mean, I don't want to just stand up here and bully people from behind the pulpit, you know, but I do want you to recognize this morning, my own self as well, how much time we give to other things, how much attention and affection we give to our phones and to social media, right? And to things that really don't profit, ends up making us angry. But when you're in the presence of Christ, you've got the word of God open before you. And God has so granted to you this this beautiful relationship that's been bought by the blood of his son. And you can spend time telling God anything you want. Um, And then, you know, I know from personal experience, if I skip prayer, um, I'm I'm a very offended person. Okay, I'm just naturally like that. Like I just get offended very easy over things. But when I spend time in prayer, the chemistry of my body changes. And how I react to the world and react to people who disagree with me, it's not there. The offense is not there. It's just, it's just the, the reality of my time with the Lord and the time in his word really brings a different outcome in how I respond to the world around me and the problems around me. Skip that and you're like Peter who skipped prayer. You come running out with the sword and start doing damage. That's really what it is, and it's beautiful. It brings us to our last point, which is a short point. It's the word of God. First Samuel 9, 27. It says, and they were going down to the outskirts of the city. Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while, stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. And I love how this chapter finishes with the most important part of it all. And the fact that the word of God was going to be ministered to Saul. This is the pinnacle. This is the apex of everything. It was the apex of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's repentance. At the end, all that matters, all that matters. And here we see the, the word of God being imparted um, to Saul. You know, a message delivered to Samuel from God. You know what I mean? Which was going to be given to Saul. And this highest honor that anybody could receive. You know, even today, um, not me by any means, but the fact that you guys are hearing not some man-centered, man-pleasing garbage that's all driven by my personality and my agenda, but to the best of my ability, preaching from God's word, what God's word said, and that you are hearing. You realize the great privilege it is to be under the word of God and to hear the word of God preached. We have lost that in this country and we've turned to fables and wives' tales and all kinds of goofy, gimmick-driven ideologies out there that's really changed the very face of our nation. Really, you know, we can blame Obama, we can blame Biden, we can blame Trump, we can blame all these people why we're in the situation that we're in in this country. But the real culprit is us. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's true because the church is the answer, right? He left us here not so we could just hang out and play video games all night. He left us here so we could be a witness to those around us proclaiming the gospel of Christ that could be brought in to the kingdom. Not only that, he's made us into a new person so we can be a blessing wherever we go, that the works he's given our hands to do would prosper 
from those around us that they would see that we are different people. It's a beautiful thing to have this opportunity to be able to be subjected to the word of God. I know people yawn, they get tired, they roll their eyes, look at their watches, their stomachs are growling, they're ready to go home, watch the Super Bowl, or whatever that may be. You know, we get so we get so just overwhelmed with everything in the world that a sermon that goes anywhere beyond 35, 40 minutes, you're just wanting to beat the pastor up, tell him to shut up. You know, that's really the that's really what goes on. You know, and I don't use that as an excuse to drag this out all day, but I would say you know, I would definitely say, like, we have lost that affection, you know what I mean, to really root the guy on who's preaching from the Word of God to us. What a privilege and what an honor. It could be taken away from you at any moment. You know, we could have that removed from us. We could find ourselves in some underground prison just starving for a word or something from God. So anyways, let's pray and thank God for our time together this morning. Lord, we just thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have looked upon us, Lord, not in hatred and anger, but you poured that hatred and anger out upon your son in our place. Lord, that we could go free, that we could be um, part of your family, but we could represent you on this planet until you take us home, Lord. Help us to do that, Lord. Lord, help us not to skip that beautiful communion with Christ and then wonder why we act just like the devil and just like the world. So Lord, be glorified today and just um, baking this word uh, into our DNA and into our minds. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen.